everybody, and welcome to episode 058 of 22s and Tridents after a week away, partially because the Mariners didn't play, partially because I guess we were savoring time before this smoke-filled situation. Uh, anyway, we're back. Con, how you doing tonight? Football is back, so I'm happy. I don't have as many fantasy football teams as you, but I, I have one and I'm kind of feeling it. It still feels weird that football's back i i think there was like a dragonfly jones tweet that was like you know the nfl hasn't really like advertised being back they haven't really like put their head out there so as football's kind of snuck back a little bit but still fun nonetheless i think i got a good fantasy team um but no it's cool to see it back to some extent all right let's get into it thanks everybody for listening if you haven't already drop us a review uh subscribe wherever you get podcasts um yeah, I don't know what those things do, the reviews, the ratings, stuff like that, but it's generally helpful. And again, uh, if you're listening to us because you just clicked on a web player or something like that and this podcast isn't someplace you'd like it to be, uh, let us know and uh, we'll try to get it there. Con, what are you having to drink tonight? Uh, this is a recurring guest. It is uh, spiked, all-natural, huckleberry, San Juan seltzer. Delicious. Yeah, Last time, I think I was having a cherry San Juan seltzer. The first time I had it as a reoccurring guest. This time, a huckleberry. This one falls at fourth out of the four flavors. Number one, of course, being green apple. Number two, likely the cherry. Number three, being the raspberry. Four, being huckleberry. Um, the middle two, raspberry and cherry, can those can intermix a little bit. But first is green apple. Last is huckleberry. Of course, it's still good. Um for those that don't yet know, San Juan Seltzers are the premium seltzer brand out there on the market right now. Uh, soon, you know, you will be seeing it at all of your major grocery stores, including your massive Kroger's across the country, your Piggly Wigglies in the Midwest and so forth. But right now, you mostly just see them at your local Safeways. What's the number on the check that they sent you? Is it? I hope it's less than a hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, I should probably walk across the street because there's a Jeep Cherokee around here, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood that has a back windshield, and the back windshield is a San Juan Seltzer advertisement. Um, so I should probably, you know, knock on their window one of these days and see see what I can get for that. That's crazy. Well, I I was gonna say one. I can't believe that green apple is your favorite too i was gonna ask where san juan seltzer ranks in the pantheon of hard seltzers so i'd i'd agree that it's there although i do like the truly lemonades my big issue with the seltzers and i wish they would rectify this so i can understand why they don't is if i like a really good flavor like say i like the black cherry truly lemonade seltzer delicious i would like to be able to buy 18 specifically of those and i can't and similar for a bunch of other stuff. It's like, I really don't need the mangoes. I really don't need the mangoes of these. And similarly, at least in my position, I wouldn't need the green apples of the San Juans. But I can understand why you can't split it up that much, but it's still frustrating nonetheless. Ingredients. Yeah. Anyway, we're both well off the beaten path tonight. Uh, I'm not even having anything that comes in a can or a package or something like that. I'm having a whiskey soda. Uh, this is a drink I was introduced to, baseball tie, uh, over in, on the trip to Japan uh, when we went over to cover that series. Whiskey sodas are everywhere. Uh, they carry them around at the ball game. They have uh, basically like carbonated. I don't know if they're pre-made on their back or if they just have the uh, seltzer water on their back and they mix in a little bit. Um, but no, it's a delicious drink. They really love uh, their Jim Beam and stuff like that. Just uh, this one's a little bit of a... Uh, Evan Williams bourbon. You get a half gallon on Amazon for pretty cheap, a uh, little Seagram seltzer water and just a couple slices of lemon. It's a delicious drink, especially during summer. But uh, yeah, that's, that's all there is to it. And it's a fantastic drink. Highly recommended. Uh, hopefully on the next episode, we'll actually have a 22 on one of these episodes uh, like the old days. Um, anyway, as far as what we'll cover tonight, we'll talk a little bit of the trade deadline. We'll get into the recap of the recent games. Uh, Mariners had a nice winning streak going before it got interrupted and then some, and then we'll talk about kind of the quick state of the team and, uh, get into it. Uh, kind of, I'll leave it open to you. We'll talk about the trade deadline first and foremost, uh, in the big move of the deadline. I think the signature move of the deadline, uh, Mariners traded away, 
uh, Austin Nola as the centerpiece of a deal that also sent away Austin Adams and Dan Altavilla uh, to the Padres for Andres Munoz, Luis Torrance, Taylor Trammell, and Ty France. What's your 10,000-foot view of this? I mean, I think the general consensus is that the Mariners did well. Uh, it might be colored a bit by them getting kind of into this playoff race, but still, nonetheless, at least to me, it seems like the type of deal uh, a team like the Mariners should absolutely strike on and shouldn't hesitate to pull off. But what do you think? I've gone back and forth for quite a few different reasons. Initially, I was happy with it. Um, shortly after, you know, the Mariners start doing well. I'm like, you know, maybe we should have had Austin Nola. The more I see Ty France, I'm like, okay, I really like this kid a lot. Um, and, you know, I'm back to where I was to start out now. I still really like Austin Nola a lot. We had him for a number of years. Team control, cheap. Um, still be remainder seeing if any of those guys turn out to be as good as he is. Um, on the other side, I guess I, I guess I'm leaning more towards liking it because I think we we got probably – I think there's a chance that we get three major league ball players out of it. And that's really special. Um, Ty France, you know, I keep at first it was like, oh, Taylor Trammell or Trammell, um, everyone's going crazy about him. And then people like, you know, like Ryan Wollen Smith and so many people are like, I'm, I'm hearing that it's actually Andrews Munoz trade, you know, kind of like the, um, the Mitch Haniger trade where it's like, no, no, the real steal in this isn't Gene Segura, it's Mitch Haniger. You know, that, that kind of reminded it of me a little bit. <laughs> But now, is it actually the Ty France trade? I know that isn't what they were hoping for, but it's kind of looking like that at this point. He's been extremely impressive so far, even though that was not a triple the other night. Um, I'm pretty excited about him, and that has actually uh, made me believe in this trade more. That's the thing. We'll, we'll memory hold this and spike this and delete this podcast uh, in the future if it doesn't work out the way that we thought. But I think you and I probably both agree, as crazy as it is, and we're conservative types that it wouldn't be surprising and we would probably guess right now that in terms of you know major league value i mean to to my eye and probably to your eye to some extent ty france may be the best player in the deal at least as far as i don't know it's crazy and it, it's kind of the conservative view but if we get five years down the road and it's like yeah ty france was actually ended up being you know the most productive player in that deal it wouldn't be the least bit surprising to me um he controls the strike zone. He hits for power. You know, defensively, it's not really there. If he can stay out of the black hole that is, you know, first base DH, you know, play a smidge a second, smidge a third. You know, maybe he's he's not going to be as good as Mustakis defensively. He's certainly built like him to some extent. Uh, and righties scare me a little bit just because, I don't know, they're righties. But he's got a good control at the, good control at the plate. He's put up good numbers. Um, he's right smack dab in the middle of his prime. Um so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of a backhanded, uh, the opposite of a compliment to Taylor Trammell, but it's just, it just really wouldn't surprise me for uh, Ty France to be the best player in this deal. And and that's just because it's hard to be the best player in a deal if you're a reliever. Andres Munoz uh, throws exceptionally hard, recovering from Tommy John surgery. Uh, but he's put up numbers at the major league level, something like 30 strikeouts in 22 innings mm-hmm. uh, in his first taste in major league baseball. Uh, and when we talk about high velocity, Pre-TJ, it's, this is 100-plus, legit 100-plus, you know, 102, 103 uh, up in Chapman territory. Um, but still, I, I think the safe bet now is to say, yeah, I mean, hopefully you got a, a, a quality major leaguer, a major league regular in Thai France, and we'll see what happens from the rest. Mm-hmm. No, I think so. Fun fact that um, the Giambe brothers also went to Thai France's high school. Same hmm. with a number of other um, <laughs> major league baseball players. Corey Lytle. Uh, he tragically passed away. I believe that was him. Um, yep. And also uh, David Denson. I do not know who he is. Jeff Cox. Do not know who he is. Sean Wooden. Do not know who he is. Mm-hmm. Aaron Small. Do not know who he is. All Major League Baseball players. Got a good background. Um, you know, and if you're a Padres fan, you have to be a little disappointed. Uh, see a SoCal kid like that get traded away. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I think it worked out so well for both teams. Nola's been really good for the Padres so far. And it's just it kind of really all good. lined up exactly right for both teams. Um, uh, you know, this isn't exactly the same, but if you were wondering, for example, I mean, I think Nola is a better player and will be a better player. But when we talk about, will any player in this deal ever be as good as Austin Nola was? That's part of it. But you also have to think 
Will any player in this deal be better than Austin Nola in 2021? Will anybody in this deal be better than Austin Nola in 2022? Will any player in this deal be better than Austin Nola in 2023? And mm. then it starts to get a little bit dicey as far as, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be that hard. I mean, he's a lower quality player, but you look at the last catch of the Mariners trade away in Omar Narvaez. Uh, that's a dude who put up a 122 WRC plus in 2018 before the Mariners acquired him. Uh, in 2019, he put up a 119 WRC plus, uh, was trying to break down the door in an all-star campaign. Uh, and then 2020, he's running a 67 WRC plus with 0.2 uh, fan grass war for the Brewers. And he, he, he isn't the defensive player that Nola is not to say that Nola is great defensively, but Omar is anything, but, uh, but when you talk about a catcher on what soon will be the wrong side of 30, uh, I can see why that would go awry. Yeah. Um, but- you can't compare normal catchers as we've um, talked about it before. He just doesn't have the wear and tear that most catchers have, mm-hmm. um, unless we, you know, consider the amount of hours being spent on a minor league baseball bus to be the same. Um, but besides that, no, I think and I, I he don't didn't. Think it's yeah, he didn't catch until two year, two three years ago. Yep, uh, and I I don't think it's as much if one player is. It's mostly you know, can all three players be better than mm-hmm. Austin Nola in the major leagues in twenty twenty two? If all three players make the major leagues, and you know are even if two of the three are even above average or average major leaguers, then I think Jerry would view it as a win. Um, even if, you know, one stinks. And I, I think we know that Austin will be better than all of the guys next year, at least. So it really comes down to that unless Ty France goes off or Taylor Chamel goes off. It really just depends on one. Uh, but even that um, seems like it isn't for sure, which bodes well for the Mariners. Yep. And I mean, we've kind of danced around it, but we should probably talk about, and I'll say hi to Mac. Uh, we should probably talk about Taylor Trammell to some extent. Uh, I don't, I'm not as familiar with his game admittedly as I should be. Um, but we've kind of danced around the fact that neither of us are that high on Taylor Trammell. He comes into this trade, uh, ranked in about the mid part of the top 100 for the vast majority of top 100 prospect rankings. Um, He's a, you know, a very athletic kid, doesn't throw hard. The throw tool, uh, Fangraphs puts it at 35. They give him an FV of 50, which is future value. Not much power, great speed, solid fielder. Uh, the thing is, uh, this is a really shallow view, but sometimes these shallow views matter. A lot of times with prospects and, and just, you know, any player, you're looking at, demographics uh not necessarily like age and ethnicity in the traditional sense but you're looking at what position can they play what are they provided offense like at a really shallow level like that is a a baseball demographic what position can they play defensively what does their offensive skill set look like uh by most accounts taylor trammell and this again he he this isn't like a knock on, this isn't trash and this isn't anything like that. It's just a reason for a bit of skepticism. Uh, Taylor Trammell by most accounts won't play center field to the major league level. Uh, just the, the arm just isn't there. Um, maybe it's a Johnny Damon type setup where he can play it a bit and he does get over to center. Um, and maybe he ends up being a, a, a defensive ace at center, but by most accounts, he won't be a major league center fielder. So that at that point, he's not playing a premium position. He's going to play, left or right, and the other non-premium positions are going to be first or third. It's really hard to be a good major leaguer, not just a major league player, if you don't have power at a non-premium position uh, or don't have a really good bat at a non-premium position. Uh, At the major league level, uh, you're probably going to have to run in a corner, ideally to be a good player, to be an above-average regular, to be a guy that a good team isn't looking to replace. You probably want to run about a 115 to 125 DRC plus, uh, and it's hard to get there uh, if you don't hit for power. Uh, he slugged 450 in 2017 in A ball, high A. It dipped down to 406, double A in 2019. Uh, first part with the Padres was, or first part with the Reds was 337, and then with the Padres it was 381. And then for whatever reason, players that have been traded twice sometimes scare me. Um, Justice has has switched it up a bit, but still, players that have been traded twice sometimes scare me. But anyway, long-winded answer, but the biggest thing with Taylor Trammell that at least spooks me a little bit is just those demographics. Uh, He's going to play left, and he doesn't hit for power, and that in and of itself makes it hard to be a real impact major league player. Um, 
Con, anything else to add on him? That was way too long, but anything else no, to add? No, you, you, you got it, really. I mean, you don't really see any designated hitters that don't have any power um, unless they're on a bad team, and there's a reason for that. Um, Johnny Damon would be a good comp. Um, but, you know, if he could even platoon down the road, that would be amazing, and I think that could possibly be his floor. It seems pretty good um, because uh, the Mariners need more um, guys that are even major league talent that they do mm-hmm. have under team control. Um, so I think that bodes well for us again, just having guys that are major league talent um, that we have under control. And I don't think he's going to be horrid. I just don't think he's going to be, you know, anything, anything great. Right. Exactly. It's not to say that he's going to be a bad player. It's just that the path to being a good player is hard. Like that's, yeah. that's all there is to it. Like, if you're Ty France and you can control the strike zone and you have power and you also play a non-premium position and you can maybe play second and or third in a pinch, you can see the path to being an above-average regular. It's just really mm-hmm. hard to play left, right, first, third, DH, and not hit for power. Uh, it's just yep. really hard uh, to be. An, and again, that's when you set the bar at impact regular. Um, so that's just what makes it tough. Anyway, let's get into the recap, things, th- keep things moving. We're not going to go back too far. Uh, let's jump back in after uh, the bit of the hiatus, after the trade deadline, after the three games off versus the A's because they uh, had the coronavirus positive test uh, Friday versus Texas going back a little bit. Now, a week ago since uh, this podcast is dropping, this was Graveman's relief debut. Looked really good. Mariners win 6-3. Again, first first game after the deadline and the hiatus. Uh, Evan White with his wall banger, two-run double. Uh, six strong from Yusei. It's, it feels so crazy that we haven't seen Yusei start since then. Uh, but still, this was... It wasn't the. It wasn't really a full winning streak when the Mariners jumped back into things, but still, good to see them come back after a hiatus and, admittedly, a not great Texas team, uh, and and hit the ground running. Um, Saturday, Mariners win five three as Sheffield just does the Sheffield thing. He had a took a ball uh, right off his ass early in the game, but still went seven innings. Uh, gave up only two runs, six strikeouts, one walk. Again, it's been able to keep the walks down. Uh, and Mariners pull ahead in the eighth, which is just outstanding to see. But still, uh, Justice, again, it's still so crazy that we haven't seen him since then. That's how long it takes to turn the rotation over. But Justice Sheffield keeps on doing exactly what he's doing. I, I couldn't believe we've seen Marco twice or seen him another time since he had his shutout. I know, exactly, right? Like, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I saw, yeah, I was looking at the Monday line, uh, and it's just like, I can't believe we haven't seen him since then. Uh, yeah. Sunday, Mariners win 4-3. Seager with a two-run bomb to really open things up. He is now fourth all-time in hits on the club behind the names that you would expect in Griffey, Edgar, uh, Ichiro, uh, and then you have uh, Seags. Seags just, we talked about it last time we recorded, just in the absolute pantheon of all-time great Mariners players. Uh, He's not a Hall of Famer or Cooperstown Hall of Famer, but he is undoubtedly going to have Kyle Seeger Mariners Hall of Fame weekend. We'll have all that stuff, and and he absolutely deserves it. Uh, Kyle Lewis got back on the homer train. Justin Dunn sneaking up on people a little bit. He's never had, like, he doesn't have like the dominant starts that, that Sheffield will have, or even Kikuchi will sometimes have, or even Marco will sometimes have. But uh, over his last three starts, he's 2-0 with an ERA of one. He's allowed just six hits in 18 innings. He's a Keep humming along with six, with those six six uh, six inning starts. Uh, that'll be just fine. It's good to see. But yeah, Kyle Seager, part of the team going. now. What was that? Justin Dunn, key part of the team now. Looks like he's in the mm-hmm. rotation to stay for a while now, and it's incredibly encouraging. Because mm-hmm. he's one of those guys that when you look at Emerson Hancock, Logan Gilbert, Kyle uh, George Kirby, you could see Dunn get bumped to the pen just because that's kind of always been. Oh, he might be a starter, might be a reliever, but he's, he's not getting bumped to the pen at this point. He's one of those guys that you could actually, yeah, use as trade bait if we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, every team needs those four and five starters. No guarantee that also we have so many four and five starters that doesn't work out. Uh, so that's pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Uh, Monday, Mariners roll on for the sweep. It was a Monday day game, which was glorious. Marco goes seven strong. He's now five and two with a 3.02 ERA. Dylan Moore drives in four. Uh, I don't know if you saw the Marco Gonzalez Instagram story, which is just a broom emoji with an LFG. Yep. Uh, we were all fired up. That's just Marco. That's just Marco doing as Marco does. 
closing out a home stand, closing out a sweep, and it was just I, the, the crazy. This this sounds like sacrilege. I can't remember who it was. Uh, I think it was on the radio broadcast. I love. Oh, you got the round table. The round table is the prime time part of Mariners pregame. Um, quick aside, I got to do the round table once, even in spring training. I was like, oh my god, it's the round mm-hmm. table. This is the part that's the best of everything. But anyway, I can't remember who exactly said it. it could have been Dan Wilson. It could have been Blowers. Uh, but they said, yeah, you know, everybody said, uh, you know, Happy Felix Day. They dropped a Happy Marco Day, and I know that sounds like sacrilege. And I'm not saying we need to jump on hashtag Happy Marco Day, but boy, is there a sense of comfort in a in a Marco Day? That is, yeah. no matter what, almost no matter what, he's going to go out and compete, even if he doesn't have his best stuff, even if he gives up a couple runs, even if he has to battle his way through. You're probably going to find your way to a quality start, six strong, at worst, three, four runs, and you're going to have a chance to win. Uh, this is this is this is the inner boomer talking, but man, he just goes out there and. Yeah, those Marco days. Maybe it's a two or a three for everybody else, but for us, I'll t- I'll take it every time around. He is simply amazing. And you you know how many walks he has this year? Probably like f- five or six. I know it was four recently. It, it's still four. He's got, <laughs> four. he's got four walks in um, fifty innings pitch this year. This is like he's not Cliff Lee, so, but the walk numbers are like Cliff Lee esque, and that's like he's like a caricature, just person, absolute command. The person second on it, um, 58 innings, would be Kyle Hendricks and his walks per nine. That's .93. After Kyle Hendricks, it skips up to Zach Granke at 1.38. He's pitched 52 innings. After that, it's Kenta Maeda. He's at 1.48. Um, so all of the guys around him, um, you know, outside of Hendricks, who's pitched, you know, eight more innings, all of the other guys have pitched the exact same, if not um, less or, you know, plus or minus two. And, they're double. You know, those guys are walking. They've walked eight guys. Can you believe that? 50 innings. Jeez. Get it together. Bottoms. Yeah. Marco <laughs> over there. <laughs> Four walks in 50 innings. It's it's unheard of. Guys could, you know, there's there's a lot of pitchers in the major leagues that, um, you know, if they, if they said, hey, I'm not going to even give, you know, two shits about my ERA and I'm going to try not to walk anyone. Um, it might even be tough for them. It's absolutely unbelievable. It's he just, I'm going to find this quote here from, uh, we cited him last time, Brent Stecker, 710s, uh, Brent Stecker, uh, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, follow him, B-R-E-N-T-S-T-E-C-K-E-R, but he put this really well, uh, right smack dab in the middle of that start. And he said, Marco Gonzalez is pitching like somebody who not only knows his game in and out, but is at the top of his ability to execute it, which couldn't put it more succinctly. Marco knows exactly what he's doing. It's it's a whole bunch of just crafty crap. Uh, some ninety mile an hour cutters at the top of the zone, in out, dipsy do, and this is a dude who's right in his pitching prime. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he's going out and he's executed it. And I, when I saw that, I was like, yes, exactly right, Brent. He's just he knows exactly what he's doing up on the mound, and he is at his peak when it comes to be able to execute it and boy oh it's so fun to watch combined with the character that he brings out there and the, the mannerisms and all like that it's so fun to watch i mean wasn't it that big strikeout i think at the end of maybe the eighth inning during his complete game where i forget if it was hudson or who was the catcher uh, took him off like five straight times up until he got the strikeout um, so that that embodies it right there what he was talking about so uh sorry to interrupt so is he is he an ace i mean Normally with the way people say aces are is like their aces, not just for our team, but for every team. It's like, there might only be like five aces in the majors by that definition. No. You sure? By the Mariners definition. Yes. By mentally. Yes. It's just, I don't know. I mean, if you wanted the, you know, if you were to say an ace is the guy that goes out and wins the game seven, carries a whole team on his back. I don't know if Marco's all the way there, but boy, I don't know. He's the exact dude that you want on a, a rebuilding team. Exactly what you want on, uh, I don't know, this team. I mean, like if, if, if this type of team is going to have an ace, that's what it's going to look like. I mean, it's Garrett Cole an ace. He's doing much better than him this year. That's true. That's <laughs> fair. That's, and Garrett Cole is undeniably an ace, though. But So, yeah, that's yeah, a fair I know. point. Um, and, I, and Marco is undeniably a top 20 pitcher this year. Usually, I view aces as being a top 15 pitcher. 
top 15 to 20 pitcher in a given year. Reason why I do that is because uh, it really comes down to where our team can't have that many pitchers that are two of them on the same team, too, if you get what I mean by that. Um, If you're a top 15 pitcher, it means you're going to be the top pitcher on about half the major league teams. And that's the thing. Like everybody talks about you need a one or you need a two or you need that. Oh, he's more of a three on a good team. He's more of a this on a good team, more of a that. The thing is, yeah, undeniably, he's one of the 15 to 20 best pitchers in baseball. And there are fewer than 15 to 20 teams. So it's like on a lot of teams, not just the Mariners, he would be the best pitcher. And on a good team, would he be the second best pitcher? Sure. But it's like, is Marco a three? Yeah, I mean, maybe when it's Roy Halladay, Cliff Lee, and you're sliding him in in front of a rookie Cole Hamels, I guess. But uh, he's a good pitcher. And on the soft side, on the non-smart side, one of my favorite Marco things was you don't see this too much where it's a pitching visit. So Marco, during his complete game, uh, this goes back a little ways, uh, a couple starts ago. uh, Yeah, we were talking about it. But anyway. You know, he gets into a little bit of trouble in the ninth. Uh, the pitching coach, Pete Woodworth, comes out. The catcher comes out. It would have been Nola at the time. And normally at that time, you're expecting uh, to see the to see Pete Woodworth talking. All right, here's what we're going to try to do. The catcher's nodding along. He's suggesting what we would type of do. From the moment Woodworth gets out there and the catcher gets out there, Marco is telling them what he's going to do, what he's going to work through. Um, he's the one controlling the conversation. Uh, it's not, Hey, I'm, Oh, I, you know, I'm a little flustered. This is tough. I'm tired. Uh, and the pitching coach is just saying, come on, go get him. throw strikes. You got this. It's mm-hmm. Marco saying, this is what he probably saying. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to start him here and we're going to work there. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's just Marco. He's not going to throw 93, 94, 95, but I don't know. That's just him. Uh, last one. Um, could you name the one team that has two pitchers in the top 14 and four? Hmm. Is it the Mariners? No, it's not the Mariners. <laughs> no, it's the Angels. I thought that was funny. You could move on now. <laughs> Who is it? The two? Who are the two, though? It's Heaney and Bundy. Wow. Oh, yeah. Bundy's been really good. I was like, would Justice have really snuck in there? I don't know. We, we did that quality start stat that one time, and the Mariners were like second or third. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's close out the recap. Yeah. Uh, Mariners get back. Uh, they're at it in Tuesday. They drop the first of two in San Francisco, fall six, five. Uh, they led four, one behind that JP Crawford, just dunk shot down the left field line had second. And this was the turn. This is, and we'll get into do the Mariners go and get reinforcements. But I feel like I, I love shed long. I'm a biggest shed long guy as anybody, but the game baseball games are decided on, on single pitches, absolute single pitches, the ones and the twos, the two ones, winning the one, one, winning the two, one protecting on the one, two Mariners in the six. This is after, you know, they led four, one, I think it led five, two. The game was tied at five, five in the six. They had second and third one out sheds down one, two, and he takes a pitch on the black. And again, this not to keep him. This is, this is peak boomer uh, that I understand, but, Still, you got to protect one, two. If it's anywhere close and all we're asking you to do is just put a ball in play, you got to protect there. Even if it's foul off, it's whatever. If there's any question, you got, and I'm, I'll be the most forgiving if somebody catches you on a lefty strike, if somebody catches you on a ball, as happened many times in that Padres series. But that's a pitch on the black. And, and I, I know most people won't remember it, but it's like when you talk about should the Mariners go and get somebody else, as we will. Those are the ABs where, who man, if you turn that one two into a poke into left field, uh, or even a ground ball that scores one and gets the Mariners the lead, uh, that changes absolutely everything. Um, Wednesday, Mariners just get they get pantsed. Uh, Nick, uh, now I know it's not Marge Vicious, although I wish it would be. Mick yep. Gar- Mick, Nick Margavichish, yep, uh, looked r- really good early, uh, and then just got. It just wasn't working. Um, he had a bunch. Yeah, he had a bunch of strikeouts early, and then he gave up a, 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 a like a bleeder single, and then he gave up a hard single, uh, and then he threw a wild pitch, and it got to second and third with maybe no outs, and he threw a one-two or an o-two uh, lefty loop zone pitch to Yastrzemski, and he just hit the shit out of it. Oh, that was it. My bad. No, but it got worse later because that was just what got it to like 3-0. Um, but no, the bats were sleepy all night. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, as we record here tonight, uh, the Astros have lost eight and nine. The Mariners are only still two, ridiculously two games out of a playoff spot. So let's get into Three. kind of our, okay. <laughs> you, ex- you you go ahead and explain it, and I'm not going to debate it whatsoever. I just want you to explain why it's three. So as Larry Stone mentioned as well, it is three games, not two. Yes, we are two games back from the Astros. So yes, that would be two games back from playoff spot or back from the Astros, but it's not a playoff spot because if we want to make the playoffs, we actually have to be one game ahead of the Astros because the Astros have the tiebreaker over us. The tiebreaker is is who has the better record between the two teams head-to-head. Astros have already clinched that this year, so the Mariners are three games back um, of making that um, division, um, the second place in the division playoff spot, if that's how it's, or whatever you call it. Again, not going to argue it at all. One thing that I do like there and absolutely agree with is that Larry Stone is like the Bible. Like Larry Stone is unassailable, very reasonable, always writes good columns, is well-sourced when they need to be. And if Larry Stone has a take, and again, not disagreeing whatsoever, that's how it is. Like that he's he is the ultimate arbiter. I agree. And that this is mathematics, so this is different. But in terms of like, is it noteworthy? Is it not noteworthy? If Larry Stone brings it up, it's noteworthy. It's as simple as that. So do you know where Larry Stone went to college? Western Evergreen? Cal Berkeley. You know. Oh, where- that's right. Of course, Cal Berkeley. I was close with Evergreen and Western. I, I knew it was something like that. I, I still sure he's always involved in the big game ones, but you can see where I was going with Western and Evergreen. But you know who else went there? I mean... Ray Kinsella, so there you go. There you exactly, exactly. <laughs> what what's the line he says? Oh yeah, I wanted to stay close to home, so I went as far as where I could go. I, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, that checks out. That checks out exactly. That checks out. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's funny that either the last podcast or the one before that we were talking about would you rather have the Mariners for Kumar or would you rather have them make the playoffs? Would you rather have the Mariners go for Kumar or would you rather have them miss the playoffs barely? Uh, and ridiculously absurdly here they are two games out do they have a shot to go do they have a shot to make this interesting i don't know what's your what's your take on the absurdity that is the 2020 mariners legitimately literally for now competing for a playoff spot yeah so this would actually be the best time for them to start losing i say that because We've already seen him do so well. There was no chance that the Mariners were going to get Kumar Rocker with Kyle Lewis absolutely putting up phenomenal numbers this year, looking like he is a big-time star in the MLB, a potential superstar status. And if you have a superstar on your team, you are just not going to be the worst team in the bigs. I apologize to the Angels, even though they tried to do that and came close. Yeah, what a poor franchise, but that is not us. We don't waste our franchise superstars. Sorry, Felix. So this year, we were, of course, doing well. Um, And, you know, if you have Marco, he's doing well. You have guys even like Justin Dunn, you mentioned, doing well. Sheffield, doing well. Um, With how this rotation has turned out and with how um, our lineup has turned out, there's no way we're going to ever get um, even probably a top three um, pick. So why do you want them to lose now? Because we've already seen that those guys can do it. You know, even if they just if they blew up and lost ten in a row, like, oh, okay, they lost ten in a row. Would you rather have them lose ten in a row or miss the playoffs on the tiebreaker? Obviously, lose the playoffs on tiebreaker. Be- exactly. Why but, do we want them to win? You no, know, now, now, as you say that, I don't know about that because if you say lose the game on the tiebreaker, I'd be like, geez, why did we trade Taylor Williams? Why did we? Why did we do all this type of stuff? It's tough. I will say on the trade side, the Taylor Williams, Austin Adams stuff. That's tough. The Mariners are, even in 2020, a marginally worse team than they were before. Like, with Ty France, I guess it's debatable. I mean, it's 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 at least not as bad as it could have been because you at least get some major league talent back. Still, I let's do it. We're within the margin of error. Let's play this thing out. I will say the next week is huge in terms of if, if – if you hang around for another week, which gets you down almost to only 10 games left, which at that point, you might as well just play it out. Anything can happen. 
The next week is absolutely huge. Mariners need to make hay against Arizona this weekend. Uh, it's basically the NLS version of the Texas Rangers. They're probably not quite as bad, but over the next week, they play the, the Diamondbacks for three doubleheader against the A's. If they could give us a split right now, I'd take that nine times out of 10. Uh, and then you have two more against this Giants team. The next week decides, are we going down to the wire? Or are we not going down to the wire? Uh, you go even 500, this B is going down to the wire almost certainly. And it's like, at this point, play it out. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's play it out. Let's do this. I don't know. I'm, I'm embarrassed at how invested I've become in this team in a span of like, I don't know what 48 plus 48 is. We'll say a hundred and something hours in like basically four days. I'm all in, I'm all in on this whole thing. Yeah. I, I think this was the week though. That was really crucial. And they lost two games, two games. Yes, those were big. The Giants are crummy. I know they're not. No, they're not crummy. They're in the running. Yes, but those are teams we need to win. You can't lose both of them, in my opinion, Um, especially when we're doing that hot. But I think the big thing is like games like that first night either. Yeah, you can't have the games like the first night, but also the first night's like you should have won that game. You were a team that was capable of winning that type of game. So like that's kind of encouraging. That was a coin flip game you lost. And then you lost one more game legitimately. So theoretically, from a performance standpoint, it's like you played good enough to split, maybe. Um, but you should have won one. You, you can't you can't afford to play good enough to win and not win because the margin is so thin. Um, but still, you go in, you win a series against the Diamondbacks, and you got to get a series win here. And I can't believe we're even talking about what the Mariners have to do to stay in it. But still, you got to get a series win. Uh, but this, I still think this is the week. This is the week you get another shot at the Giants. You gotta, you gotta hang around. I, I think it's over, but that's just me. <sighs> it's not over. It's not. O- I, and it's the over. next thing I have in the notes here is, no. This is actually really funny. No matter my, the thing in my notes here is, no matter what, you gotta beat Houston. Like it's not gonna matter unless you beat Houston. Um. So no matter, almost no matter what happens in all these other games. You got to take at minimum two of three from Houston, if not three. Um, and they play Houston uh, not this coming week, but the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday after that. They get them at home. I don't know if that matters. Probably doesn't matter. Um, but if you get swept by Houston, if you lose two out of three to Houston, as the Mariners so frequently do, it's over. You're not going to – no, it's not going to happen because that's a huge swing. Like when you lose one game, it's like losing two because it goes right to the other team. Mm. One thing that I've started to come around on, but I'd like your opinion on, and I know where it's going to go. Say the Mariners get to, so we got to play out this string. Say the Mariners get to Monday, they sweep the Diamondbacks, and they head into a doubleheader versus the A's at home. A lot of times rosters are switched up, headed into a homestand or a road trip or something like that. Say they sweep the Diamondbacks, and I don't know if the math works out. They head into Monday, which is a doubleheader, either a half game or a game back of Houston. Mm-hmm. Should the Mariners push the chips in and call up Jared Kelnick? No. Real? Why do you say no? Because for one, they're not even going to move it down to a five man rotation yet. So I know they're a bunch of cowards with that. Did you see that they plan on doing a six man rotation next year? I almost didn't want to bring it up because I was where oh I just like, gosh. don't come you out. You know, you know what made me even more ticked off? that the Dodgers did it this year. And I was like, gosh, Jerry, Jerry has to just be so happy seeing that. Just jump it up and down with excitement. Well, the thing is, the thing is, it's like we celebrate that the pitchers are doing well and we wish we would see them more often. But do you think that the pitchers doing well has anything to do with pitching less frequency, less frequently? No, no. I do I not. Mean, that's an opinion somebody could have. I'm just saying, I don't know is all I'm saying. We don't know. I do not. There's more off days in a regular season in a regular. Okay. Season. Anyway, continue on the Jared Kelnick front. Let's keep it on that Mariners. It's Monday. The Mariners had a great oh, series in Arizona. They're a half game back of the Astros. We're headed into a doubleheader against the A's. Is Jer- why do you not want Jared Kelnick batting seventh in both of those games? Because we've already gone so far down this beaten path of you know getting rid of guys at the deadline. But that's some cost. We're already down. We're already there. Why do yeah, we not? Why do we need it? to think another cost just to miss out on the playoffs by one game? I guess. So you're worried about the co- the cost control? Yeah, I think it's not worth it because we're going to miss out on the playoffs anyways. 
And that's very, I mean, you go, you go athletics for two, you go giants for two, Padres for three, Astros for three, A's for four. So it's not easy. We can call them up for the playing game if, if it gets to that point. The one thing that I would, one on the, so one, there's like the moral, like very, like, we're going to be like, get morals involved in this. And that is you're supposed to call players up when they're ready and you're supposed to call players up when you need them. Um, That's one way to look at this. And I'm not saying it's the right way. I lean that it's the right way, which is when players are ready and you need them and they would help you and they make your team wetter, you're supposed to call them up. This whole thing was set up such that players were called up and sent down in good faith. Uh, That's why all these rules exist. That's how it's supposed to work. When you need them and they are ready, you call them up. That's how it's supposed to work. Uh, So if you're one game back of a playoff spot and you're chucking a, you know, 40 yard Hail Mary, you should do that and not take a knee. That's just, that's, that's how it was supposed to be played. Players are ready and they could make your team better. You call them up. That's how it's supposed to work. On the other hand, the cost control, let's game it, let's get ready kind of way. One, theoretically, Kelnick comes up and he's pretty good. He's not awesome, but he's pretty good. And you make the playoffs. It all works out. Mitch Hanniger, theoretically, maybe, I don't know, is healthy headed into 2021. You say, hey, we have, maybe you assign somebody. We have Lewis in center. We have Hanniger in right. He's made an all-star game. And I don't know, we signed the Tim Beckham of left fielders. And you know what? It sucks, but we got to get Kellenick every day playing time. Wink, wink, nod, nod. We keep the playing time going. I'm not saying that's the way you should do things. If I were, if it up to me, call them up, figure things out later. The second part of this is, you are the Seattle Mariners and you cannot be playing around with taking for granted when you are one game out with 15 games to play. It isn't like you have three of those in the hand. Like you should probably at least give it a shot when you're in that position. So I don't know. That was a long winded uh, little rant there, but the two parts of it are one, the service time thing might figure it out. And two, the Seattle Mariners are not really a franchise that can uh, turn their nose up at theoretical runs, even dicey ones at the playoffs. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Con, anything else on the playoff run? What do you think is going to happen? I would say they probably, I want them to get to the last week because that's the margin of error. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Any, any last thoughts on that part of it? it it's a streaky ball club. It has been all year. Uh, so chances are we fall, you know, pretty far out in the next couple of days, maybe even against the Diamondbacks this week, get it to about four games. Um, and then with maybe like six games to go, we'll get it maybe within two or back to like three once we drop it to six. Um, but I think, you know, it's most likely in the in the tank out of our hands at this point. Um, the Mariners really just need the Astros to absolutely blow up. Um, in terms of the keeping on or pulling up Kalanick, I do wonder um, how mad he is at this point. Um, maybe he's like, I should be on this ball club right now. And in six, seven years when I'm a free agent, I'm going to take this into consideration. Like, who knows? Maybe George Springer is taking it into consideration this offseason as he was held down for a very long time by the Astros. Although different you- front office, I know that um, they've at least considered that. Do you follow Jared Kalanick on Instagram? I do not. Jared Kalnick's most recent photo is him looking perplexed. It is from 14 hours ago and hashtag is all caps SMH. So really, uh, I, not to say that it's anything it could just be a goofy caption, but it's a picture of him looking perplexed and the hashtag SMH. So yeah, I don't know. I think people are not that dumb and I think he would like to get a crack. He's that type of, uh, borderline insane super competitor uh that would love to get a taste of this um so i don't know i was telling some other friends that this is like there's this goofy thing where like in the nba if a player's grumpy, like paul george he was grumpy you just had to trade him in baseball they just don't give a shit if you're grumpy they just do not care and i don't i don't know if that's the right approach but they do not care if a player is grumpy that's for sure it worked out for them but with uh what was i going to say with kalanick i think it's Jerry, he likely lied to him. I mean, he t- he told him in spring training that he 
you know, if he played so well that he could, he could, you know, he jokingly said, if you hit a thousand, no, but they kind of said, they kind of said, if you play so well, you can't really refuse to put him on a team. I think that's kind of what he said, at least in the background to Kalanick too. Like, Hey man, you'd have to play out of your shoes for us to put you on the team. And he seems like he has played out of his shoes at this point. And it's like, I'm I think they should call him up. I think they should take a run with it, figure it out later. I don't know. You just got to trust the baseball gods that if you're trying, it'll work itself out. Um, but with him, I mean, it's just like, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, 162 game season, there was a 50, 50 chance at worst that we would have seen this in September. If the Mariners were ter- terrible, uh, maybe we didn't, but if they were just, okay, they were basically this, but prorated, you know, not 90, you know, about 90 losses, but not abysmal. You know, you probably call him up, take a look just to see what he looks like. But now here you are two weeks to go in the season and you're, you have a outside shot at the playoffs, go get him. And I talked about that, you know, shed long at bat earlier. You're talking about the innings that, you know, who is he replacing? What's the upgrade potentially look like? You know how bad you would have to be for you to be worse than the Mariners corner outfielders so far. You're talking about having to be better than like shed long then D Gordon. I mean, then, we, we spoke about it. Ben Gamble looked like an all-star compared to these guys. Yeah. You have to be better than Philip Urban. Then, you know, Marmaleo, you got to like, this isn't a low bar to clear. This isn't a high bar to clear. Like if you have a hundred WRC plus you're like, and with good defense, you're like twice as good as everybody who's ran out there. And I talked about that game that was swung on, not protecting on a one, two, I don't know. You know, you, like I mentioned, you turn those things around, you know, you, you, you slice a, you know, a one-two pitch into left field for a two-run single, and that's the game. If that happens to a guy that you replace, that's that's your whole win right there. That's the whole. It was worth calling him up. That could be the game that gets you in. Um, so, I mean, if you look at it from the baseball ops group standpoint, it's risky uh, in that you might lose a year of prime Jared Kelnick. But at the same time, if Jared Kelnick is any small part of getting you into the playoffs uh, you'll be worshipped in this town <laughs> not just forgetting yeah. the guy but just forgetting there um so that's what the butts in the seats next year anyways so might as yeah well make some excitement yeah and i mean it does uh you know if you go three games under 500 and the mariners uh you know miss the playoffs by two games does that put butts in the seats yeah to some extent for sure mariners go to the playoffs with jared kelnick and kyle lewis getting him there People will be signing up for season tickets. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, good segue here as we answer a couple quick questions. Scott DeJourn, or no, I don't want to. Let's let's save that one. That's one of my favorites. I got a couple good ones. But there was a good segue here, and this comes from Derek DeVries. Worst record the Mariners could end up with and still make the playoffs. Uh, the Mariners record right now is they're what? Four or five games under 500? Four games under 500? Uh, either way, I think the worst would be about um 2931 yeah they're five games under 500 yeah 29 and 31 would be about the worst i would say the very 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 i would say almost the mariners need to be better than one team and that's the houston astros the houston astros have lost eight of nine and they've looked not great i don't see the astros finishing much worse than like if it all goes absolutely awry and they're god-awful Maybe with a hope and a prayer, they finish four games under 500. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're going to probably have to go about 500 to make the playoffs. You may get in with one, two games under 500, but it's going to get real dicey. Um, but no matter, I, it's just, you're, you're really aiming at the Astros and you got to be better. The Yankees have been not great. And I guess at the same time, so the teams that the Mariners are competing with are the Yankees and then abs- the Astros and then absurdly the Orioles and the Tigers. Um, could the Orioles yeah. and the Tigers flame out? Yes. Could the Yankees? Maybe. I don't know. I, I feel like the Mariners to your point. Yeah, probably at worst got to be like two games under 500 to make the playoffs. Yeah. Cause I think the Astros will likely finish one or two games. Above 500. Yep. Um, all right. Two quick questions before we shut this puppy down. This was a really good one. Uh, and I know you'll have a, a strong opinion on it. Uh, Scott DiGiorno asks, where is your favorite place to take in a game from at the Mariners yard? Where's your favorite place to, to watch a game from at the ballpark? I know you move around a lot. So as such, you have some good spots. I don't know if you're going to divulge all your secrets, but 
what are some of your favorite spots to catch a ball game from at now T-Mob? Yeah, it all depends on the time of day as well. I think where I grew up watching, not grew up watching, but where I've watched the most games over the last decade, um, section 142, row 17, seats one and two. That is my all-time favorite. That is on a third baseline, um, just past third base, up 17 rows, like I said. Um, you have the aisle to your right, which is nice. So you get all of that to look over. That is my favorite spot. Uh, other favorite spots, um, I really enjoy being up um, by the right field foul post during sunsets or when it's just completely empty up there and I want to just hang out on my own even, uh, or even just, you know, one or two others. Sometimes on my own, I like just heading up there and, you know, drinking a beer. That's a famous, where'd Connor go? Is that, where's, yeah. where's Connor? And we're at third base and we call you and you, oh yeah, wave, we're other side of the ball. Oh, there you are. I see you. There's Connor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that spot. It's kind of just a spot where you can just, you know, run away with your own mind. Uh, and of course, I also remember seeing when we almost made the playoffs there a few years ago. So that's another great spot. Um, I do like any place up and behind home plate too. Uh, those are always great seats just because you can see, uh, you know, you can't see up and down vertically with the pitches, but you can at least get a good idea of um, what's a ball and a strike a little bit up there. I do like the Terrace Club. That is fun too. I like that because mostly um, if you have one ticket in the Terrace Club, it gives you a ticket to the entire Terrace Club. Because, Screenshot it. Yes. Yep. And well, and the ushers just aren't massive a-holes up there because they, they think everyone should belong up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't really care where you're sitting. And if you wanted to get a whole row with your friends, you can go get a whole row with your friends if you're up there. So that's another good spot. Uh, outside of that, I do like um, the right field. Uh, outfield but i rarely ever sit there because weirdly enough that is where ushers tend to feel sticklers yeah they restrict access the most over in um uh, the outfield and right field lower level yeah i never sit out there but it kind of feels like you're part of the game just because you're between the foul poles yeah Uh, they're huge sticklers out there i remember when i got the nelson cruz home run out there uh i had to ask the usher like hey um, can I just can I just stay down here because uh, I'm here all the time? You know, this is my X amount of game here in the stadium. I really just want to watch this one uh, Cano at bat. Um, is it okay if I stay for this? And I think Cano was coming up on his 300th homer. It's like just give me a chance to just stay here for this one. He allowed it, and then uh, Cano must not have gotten it, and Cruz hit a home run. So that that was nice. But that was just one example of them being sticklers. But I had to really explain myself that time. And we're obviously not stating anything new, but this was surely 20,000 people at the ballpark, maybe 10 o'clock at night. There's now much less than the announced capacity. Nobody's filling in these seats. It's, eh, we're not, we're not, we're not hitting new, we're not covering new ground, but uh, just acknowledging a late in the ball game too. It's at least the seventh inning. Come on, give me a break. Yeah. And I'll get to my, we have one more question that I'll address and then I'll talk about there. But my quick takes are, uh, best seat in the house, uh, no question of money. Just from my experience, I've never sat in the Diamond Club, so I don't know about that. But I have sat close behind like the dugout and stuff like that, just on going on employee tickets. If money's not a question, my favorite, Terrace Club, right up from the first base side, ideally right up from first base, just to the right of the net behind. Just a great view. Those are uh, you know, sometimes I for employee seats, you get Terrace Club for free, free and you could get like seats behind the dugout for a little bit of money, not very much money at all. Uh, and still, the Terrace Club was the better bet. Uh, if you're looking for the best value, I would say above first baseline in one of the first couple rows of the 300 level. Just absolutely amazing. Unreal views of... Uh, unreal views of the skyline of everything. It's just, you're on top of the action. I absolutely love it. If you don't like heights, maybe it's not your thing. Uh, you can run down here quick for beers. Yeah, you can run down quick for beers. It's fantastic. Speaking of running for beers, my next one, and this is the GA one and something that won't get gobbled up by group events. Uh, the bridge between, um, uh, kind of like the, the, the main stanchion along the right, right field foul line and then out where the Hit Here Cafe is, uh, as most people know, back in the old days, now that everybody should know, you can go in the Hit Here Cafe even if you don't have a ticket for the Hit Here Cafe. They always have cheaper out there. Go out there. But the bridge between um, 
kind of the 300 level, but now it's, it can be the 300 level. It can be the suite level. It can be the terrace club. You have access to all these little small sections. There's a little opening there, uh, in right field, right behind the foul pole, a little bridge where you can stand. Sometimes you can drink a five, $6 can of beer that you got from the Hedera cafe. That's one of my absolute favorites. Um, but those are my big ones. Uh, best seat, no doubt. Terrace club, best seat for value. Uh, first couple rows of, uh, 300 level. And then that standing area out by the right field foul pole. is just absolutely amazing. Right below Connor seats. Um, uh, quick last question as we wind it down. I really like this one from from Nick Scott has it hits very close to home for me. Con, you won't have as much on this, but he asked Butte lad here uh, as in Butte, Montana, Butte lad here uh, and memories of the Copper King slash Pioneer League games is a great memory. And while our local teams are improving in a great new stadium, it's not an affiliate kind of situation. It's talented youngsters who could use more exposure. Uh, and you talk about here in Seattle. How do you think the loss of the Pioneer League at large will impact the sport in Montana? I know a lot of you, a lot of Butte folks, miss the Kings uh, in Perth, Magnapolis, that's a fielder, Joel Peralta, uh, and expanding to the bigger cities just makes me sad. Um, my personal field of dreams, Nick, you may know this. That might be why you asked. My personal field of dreams, as far as best place I've ever watched a ball game, is uh, outside the ballpark in Missoula, Montana. Uh, the Missoula Osprey, uh, then the Osprey, now the Paddleheads, were the rookie affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And you could bring your own beer, sit outside for absolutely free. If you wanted to, you could float the river, pull up via uh, inflatable tube, walk up and watch a ball game. I never did that, though I meant to. Um, was just absolutely amazing. Um, uh, I think I, I saw Corey Seager rope a RBI double to the gap without knowing it. I probably saw Paul Goldschmidt play there a little bit. Um, it just, it, the, that was the best place I've ever been to watch a ball game, just to go for free and soak in the game. Um, and my quick comment on this, and I won't speak specifically to Montana, though it is a tragedy that the game isn't in places like this. But my broader comment is uh, baseball's biggest problem is that and the biggest problem for a huge part of society right now forgive me is the focus on short term tangible revenue over long term intangible gain um which is to say does it make money for major league baseball to have a team in Missoula Montana in the short term or to have a team in Butte Montana in the short term no probably not at least not from you know a straight dollars and cents over the next 3 years standpoint does it make sense for them to run teams up there over and over? No, it doesn't serve them any good. The players aren't better there. They have to pay more players. They have to do all that stuff. Uh, from a straight dollars and cents standpoint, does it make that point? No. Uh, and that's the problem with baseball a lot nowadays is they are so focused on the next one, two, three years of revenue. Are we making money on this right now? Uh, when the view, particularly for a sport like baseball, a sport that's seen declining fandom, declining uh, attendance, should be, do people like us? Are we growing the game? Is this going to make us money long-term? Is this going to make more baseball fans? Uh, is this going to grow the game? Is this going to make people fall in love with, with what was once America's pastime? Uh, and that's where the focus should be. And that's what's going to make money long-term. Nobody's trying to make baseball any less money. Maybe some people are. I I, I, I wouldn't mind if, if the internet made less money. But I don't want to get too political. But still, uh, when it comes to that, I just wish... Uh, baseball owners, baseball, the commissioner, everybody would see. Does it matter if people like us? Does it matter if the game is growing? Obviously, yes, it does. And while you don't have a hard and fast revenue number tied to it, uh, it matters, and it matters a whole lot. Um, I don't know that I would be the baseball fan that I am today if I didn't you know, be able to go to bike to baseball games with my not fiance and watch them along the Clark Fork River in Missoula, Montana. And the same goes for you know, people in Butte, people in Butte that have to pay for Mariners games. The only team they can watch in Major League Baseball is the Seattle Mariners, and they don't even have a freaking team out there. Uh, they don't have a team in the Pioneer League. But anyway, that's a long rant. But the biggest thing is, uh, Nick, it's it's freaking tragic, and I'm right there with you. Um, those those leagues should exist. They're absolutely heaven. Uh, if if you get a chance, anybody out there to catch a ball game in the Pioneer League with the backdrop of of the mountains and on a beautiful summer night in Montana or Ogden, Utah, or God knows where, please do. That's, that's heaven. Anyway, con, did you ever catch a ball game? Do we ever see a ball game in Montana? Probably not. Right. 
I didn't with you, but I, I went with, with our dad once on whoever Corey Myers is, Corey Knight Myers Bobble. Oh, yeah! Uh, so I still got that. Uh, are you able to say Butte Lad one more time? <laughs> yeah, Butte Lad. My Again, that's what he says. I'm a Butte Lad, and I love Butte. Hey, get a... In an accent the first time. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but Nick, uh, I don't know if you knew this. My fiance is from Whitehall right outside of Butte. I've spent a St. Patrick's Day in Butte. Uh, I love a, a, a Wop Chop from the freeway, one of my absolute favorite meals. I still have some sausage in my freezer uh, from Butte. Butte's a, a, a one-of-a-kind town, Butte, America. Uh, so, yeah, here goes to, to all the Butte lads out there. They have a lot of Packers fans there, a lot of Notre Dame fans there. Connie, you should spend some time in Butte. I think you would like it, honestly. You, you'd like it quite a bit, actually. <laughs> Probably. If you go to like a like a, any kind of like a Walmart or a Target and you want to get some Packers gear, I've got some of my best Packers gear there. And uh, shout out to my 2B mother-in-law, able to get – I got my, a lot of my Packers tees are from 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 Melissa Olsen just because Butte's got, Butte's got the stock on Packers gear. Anyway, Con, anything else to add on the Mariners over the last couple of weeks before we shut it down? That's all we got for questions. We thought we were going to go 45 minutes, and lo and behold, shock and awe, uh, we went another hour. We went an hour. Anything else to add? Nope. Go Nurse. Go Nurse. Go M's. Uh, hey, hopefully this time this next week, the Mariners are on the heart of a playoff race. And for me, Jared Kelnick's on the roster. Anyway, we'll see. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, go M's. Go M's. <laughs>